G'day everyone, uh, very quick introduction to a new podcast episode. Um, I just got off the phone with Brendan Newton. Uh, some of you may have seen that he's been doing a big push to get one of his boards raffled off uh, for a very good cause at AIM Mentoring. Uh, I thought I'd jump on a quick podcast with him to talk about it and to get the word out and see if any of you want to get involved. So please take the time and please share this podcast episode with people in your network who who want to kind of maybe get a piece of bodyboarding history and also really put some cash towards a really good cause here in Australia and also around the world, I learnt, in the podcast. So enjoy this podcast episode. It's a follow-up with Brendan Newton. He's an absolute legend. He's um, making a tremendous difference in bodyboarding and in the in the world as we speak. So do yourself a favour, listen in. If you can afford it, get involved. And if you can't afford it, share it so someone else can. Thanks. Okay. I'm really pleased to welcome back to the old La Boogie podcast, Brendan Newton for a rematch. How are you, Brendo? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, mate. Uh, life's really good at the moment. So, yeah, it's good to catch up. I love doing this stuff, bro. I know, I know. Um, Must be a year or so ago that we had that first interview or maybe under a year ago and off off the off the mic we were talking about it and it really kind of seemed to have really fired you up a little bit in the bodyboarding world um what's been what's been happening since that podcast where we had a little ice bath and got on with it what's been <laughs> happening with you yeah no it was a really nice moment where you called me up I'd, i was aware of the little boogie podcast traveling around um and i was really stoked when you called me up to be a part of it is it just made me feel like, you know, a little bit acknowledged and stuff like that. So I kind of had a really good moment where you came around to my house and and that spurred on this re-engagement with, I suppose, the broader global bodyboard scene and and reconnected me with a little bit of my past, which I thrown a lot of energy into and and it was a yeah, I suppose it was a bit of a line in the sand moment where I started to explore in the midst of COVID uh, how to tell stories, uh, both my stories and then stories of others. And yeah, jumped into starting a podcast because I enjoyed the experience with you and another podcast I did at the time. Yeah, you really, you really got on the, onto the, onto the train of the podcast world. I mean, you launched the gray space and I mean, how many episodes are you up to at the moment? Uh, I just did my 26th episode. Um, probably going to publish it tomorrow. Yeah. Epic. Epic. And it's been a pretty broad church of um, people that you've had on board. Like you've had a couple of the bigger names in bodyboarding there, but you've had some like people from, you know, Blast from the past, like Kyle Maligro, which is really cool. Um, you know, but you also kind of transcended. You got outside of that bodyboarding space as well and brought in a lot of people who uh, the bodyboard community probably had never heard of. I mean, in your experience now with the podcast, would you like, could you point to the best podcast episode and, you know, which one really jumped out for you as something that like really enlightened you? Oh, that that's cool. I mean, it depends what you're hungry for really, but, you know, at this stage in my life and this particular kind of, I don't know, set of circumstances that I find myself in internally and externally, I'm really like enjoying the metaphysical kind of uh, transcendent stuff. So like hearing the story in episode 25 of Ben Tillman, who founded Yours and Ours Festivals mm. based on you know, his love for like having cool house parties. And then he just so happens to have house parties for 
20,000 young people every year in Wollongong. Amazing. And he, Amazing. he actually wrapped himself around a, a pole at 100 k's an hour on the way home from one of his parties and, and oh. was quadriplegic. And, and then he, he worked through this process of, um, I suppose, meditation just out of desperation when he was in ho- his hospital bed and, and developed this technique where he would sort of visualize himself traveling down his spinal cord and almost reconnecting the life uh with his within his spinal cord and and that sounds pretty trippy but you know the the proofs in the pudding there's this guy on the other screen of me um filming episode 25 and he's got full use of his arms and uh he's kind of got this vitality in his face and he's talking about you know bone broths that he puts on for a week long throwing veggies in and out he's got all these little routines that are just beautiful to listen about and it was inspiring for me to kind of you know as we go navigate our own challenges in life um just to know that there's those resources within us to kind of touch in and and get realmy you know (laughs) get realmy um (laughs) that's a good term i think that like it's really cool like I, i felt like you know, in our podcast that we had a while back, you know, it did dive into some of the kind of mental health things that were that you went through, and and it really, like, I really enjoyed it in particular because it was a, it was like a really a big revelation for me about what was going on in your head and how <clears throat> how your actions kind of related to certain things, and it was like it was going deep, but I feel like with your podcast, like, you've kind of taken it to a whole new level and you've really opened it up into a whole other space and. I mean, it must be, um, is it quite like, obviously it's a bit of a trip when you interview someone who's, you know, retrained their spinal cord to, you know, give them life back. Um, that's pretty full on. I mean, when you, when you touched on some of the other kind of characters in the bodyboarding space, was there, was there anyone in particular that really jumped out to you with like a, a kind of a lesson or a story in this kind of gray space that was quite touching and, and maybe like quite revealing for you because you kind of maybe knew them already and you didn't know that they mm. were going through this thing or that. Like, was there any anyone in the series so far mm. that really kind of, yeah, got got into your head and made you think, oh wow, that's that's pretty interesting. Mm. Yeah, cool. I reckon um, drop your video off because that'll give us a, a better connection, Joshua. Sorry to pipe up. Oh yeah, um, no worries. Yeah, look but, at him. He's yeah, he's, just, he's just launched his podcast now. He's telling me how to podcast. <laughs> like fucking hell. <laughs> You know, you bring him on, you do a follow-up, and he just starts telling you how to podcast. he takes over. He just fucking takes over. I thought I called you. (laughs) I love it. Um, Mate, um, episode two of The Grey Space, and just to be clear, I called it The Grey Space because I'm, I'm really passionate about exploring between polarities and and not mm-hmm. having these sort of fixed mindsets and opinions uh and 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 knowing that there's a whole a whole spectrum that you can walk along uh when faced with any issue or circumstance and to kind of i suppose tie it, tie down the definition it was like I didn't want to talk about black and white you know hero stories and failure stories I just wanted to walk uh in the gray space, so to speak, you know, it was kind of, mm. so when I got people on, I wanted to figure out stuff that they hadn't told people and, and talk mm. about stuff that maybe it isn't talked about a lot. And I, I just find that really enjoyable and just to be present with mm. someone. So episode two with Nick Omrod 
was, mm. um, you know, you grow up in this scene, uh, and and you 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 sort of, I suppose, decades on from that scene, I'm starting to. When you're so immersed as a young twenty-year-old, you think, um, you know, maybe your story is the center of the world, and and then mm. having reached back to a lot of the characters in the sport now through my podcast, it's it's really comforting and um, gives me a lot of security and a lot of groundedness to speak to guys like Nick Omrod who had such mental drama after he broke his back in South Oz mm. and mm. he walked through that really articulately. He'd obviously done a lot of work with a psychologist and, and done a lot of work in his own life, understanding himself and his own um, his own mental stuckness uh, kind mm. of with his particular uh, circumstance. but. The way he walked it through, man, like, I don't know if there's half an hour of listening that I've ever done that I've been so removed from where I was currently and just in the story. And Mm. so that that for me was a really special moment. And to know him, I surf with him locally on a weekly kind of basis. And he, it's just fucking beautiful. Like, just to kind of hear that real life. It's not like a... A complete story. It's not like, oh, it's a lovely happy ending. It's just it just is and it's mm. fucking amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful work, Brenda. It's beautiful. I mean, it's um it, it's really important that we have these other conversations. And I just think um what's really cool as a fellow podcaster to see what you've done is to is to chart your own pathway into this space as well. And kind of it's just really cool to get another perspective on 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 these guys and i mean you i'm sure you're going to be interviewing so many more from the bodyboard world but also from other worlds that come your way and i just do think like for the bodyboarding audience like it's really great for them to be Mm. transported outside of their sphere of interest and influence to to hear from other people who they maybe wouldn't have heard about from and and i think that but also finding out things with the existing crop of writers who are there and who have these stories and these and just the fact that you're taking it into this different space, I really love it. And, um, hmm. yeah, it's quite cool. Like one of the things I'm trying to do now in a, in a similar way is just to like find those everyday bodyboarders and, and hmm. like uh, I'm, I've just done my first interview with, um, with, a, with a guy who, you know, he's just a guy that's really passionate about bodyboarding, but he's also like just super interesting in his own life and he's quite hmm. exceptional in, in the work that he does in his own life. So it's exploring like, Exploring those other experiences in the bodyboarding world, and I do think that you're touching on that other experience as well by bringing new characters into this space. Because I don't know, like from, I feel like bodyboarders have been really internally focused a lot of the time, like in their own shit for a long period of years now, and the opportunity to look outside of ourselves at other things that are happening is like a really good thing for all of us to do in life. Is just to get outside of what you're currently experiencing, and I feel like your totally. podcast is doing that. So full credit to you, mate. I reckon it's um it's really cool that you have done that. And and I mean, part of the reason why we're jumping on the call today was to talk about another kind of otherness or aspect of Brendo's world, which is a little mm. bit outside of the bodyboarding space. And we touched on it in our first episode together. But at A Mentoring, you kind of launched this initiative. Um, and I'll get you to speak to it, but there's a really cool initiative you're doing and you're connecting the dots between your bodyboarding past and this kind of yeah. future that you want to see. So let the let the listener know about this because you know 
I want to help support this as much as possible. So it's really cool. So how about you take it away and give us the, yeah, give us cool. the rundown of what it is you're doing and what's it all about? Yeah, no, thanks, Josh. I, I'm, yeah, the thing about life at the moment for me is that it seems to be sort of flowing um, serendipitously, which I'm really thankful for. The podcast doesn't seem like a big effort. My work at, at AIM doesn't feel like a huge effort. You know, being a parent is is kind of got some flow to it. And so it's kind of, you know, I'm really thankful. And I'm not saying that to be sort of like, hey, like, you know, I'm not doing good. But I've had a lot of clunkiness in my life for a couple of decades through, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, which I kind of unpacked a little bit in my last podcast with you. And, and I talk about a bit on my mm-hmm. podcast. But it's like you appreciate life when, when it's, um, when it's a bit smoother and you, you come out the back of those gnarly sort of uncertain storms and yeah, that's the period I'm in now and yeah, just trying to enjoy it. And so part of enjoying it is, you know, um, acknowledging that I come from relative privilege, you know, um, I come, I grew up on the Northern beaches. My dad went to uni, uh, you know, I never wanted for anything, had two beautiful brothers. Um, we went surfing sometimes in the morning before school, always on the weekends, um, we could travel, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm really in the top one or 2% of the world in terms of wealth. And since, you know, finishing, finishing up the kind of hardcore bodyboard stuff and, and jumping through to teaching and navigating my own mental ill health, I kind of landed in this program with, I was asked to talk at a, as a, at a program day at the AIM program day, originally dubbed Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience. And there was a local program where they asked me to come and talk about my experience in the ocean and, and mental health. And um, after doing four years of education, for me, it was like, it was just such a rich experience because I'd never felt education in such a palpable, connected space. And after that, I didn't even do my teacher's interview. I think I mentioned on my last podcast, I was just like, fuck, mm-hmm. I'm going to work for these guys. And I applied for six jobs all around Australia just to say, said to my wife, like, I'm going to work for these guys wherever they send me. I got, I got the gig. And so eight years later, I am now working for this gang who's um, we've managed to um, mentor 25,000 plus um, minority young people from six different countries through a relatively simple model of putting people that they probably wouldn't talk to otherwise uh, university students in a room with them having been trained uh, as mentors and there's this two-way exchange where it, the sort of proofs in the pudding kids are making it through school at the same rate as their mainstream peers on average and that's all kind of kpmg audited which is you know it helps us kind of prove our worth but the coolest thing is you've got these mentors that are sitting in the room with minority young people mostly Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander in Australia, where they just have their mind blown and they feel mm. like when they go on to these kind of roles after you, they make decisions based on that experience, which is fucking beautiful because we're now mm. able to influence leadership in big business. And yeah, so it's something I'm obviously passionate about and we've, we've got the runs on the board as an organization and I'm in the leadership team now. And like, I'm just super thankful that I got the gig to begin with. I mean, I was a fucking bodyboarding rat with no part, no full-time job history um, that just made a couple of docos with Mickey Smith and I sat face-to-face with one of the greatest fucking young leaders in Australia's history, Jack Manning-Bancroft, for a job interview in 2014 and he's like, 
tell me what leadership is. And I, I just recalled the story about when I jumped off the boat at Salty Dogs and said to the lads, like, we're going to fucking do this. You know, we're going to catch a wave. We're going to get the cover shot. We're going to fully nail this thing. And um, there was a lot of uncertainty in my mind at that time. I wasn't that confident. But just taking that, that leadership role then and then telling that story to Jack at the interview table, he gave me like a, a manager's job at the time. So it was such a, a lucky strike for me. Um, having been pretty mentally unwell at the time and, and get getting to I, I suppose cutting my teeth in a in a in a real job, so to speak. Um, I had that opportunity. I'm very thankful that I I suppose I've been there for eight years and now climbed into a pretty robust like recruitment and partnership role where I'm fucking just using my personality, I suppose, uh, in in a relatively free sense to build bridges between those with wealth and those without wealth and part of what i'm doing at the moment is really on a on a sort of pull back version i'm looking at my life and i'm like how the fuck has this all come about it's so beautiful because i've got this history where in 2006 i rode like the most dangerous wave ever ridden or ever paddled into um some have said but i sort of have that board it's the only board i've ever kept and i don't know why it's just kind of followed mm. me from house to house and i've given every one of my boards away but the, i found it in my in the um the top of my house and i thought to myself like fuck the reconnection of this whole life narrative could be that potentially you know with the the i suppose the emphasis on non-fungible tokens and and the emphasis on yeah. black lives matter and and the covid pandemic and that our mindsets are sort of uh, widening, I think, uh, as a society, as a globe. And, you know, I've, I've on a daily basis have access to data that, you know, less than 5% of people in some continents have access to tertiary education. And 1% mm. of the world owns 50% of the world's wealth. Like, and mm. 2050, we're going to have disasters as common as it is to own a dog because of our climate. Mm. Um, situation and like like all these kind of big um big pieces of energy going on in the world and and thoughts i kind of saw the board and my um my buddy jack who runs the gig and started aim back in 2005 as like a fucking gnarly aboriginal kid at at sydney uni he said to me oh this year brando you know as a bit of a sort of close the year out we're going to do a bit of an op shop where we get people to donate special stuff reckon you can go out and find some people with special things to donate it to aim so that we can leverage it for the program for the kids and i was like yeah sweet as that's kind of my job he just calls me up and off i go and mm. then i thought fuck i've got this bodyboard in my roof that's and i've just been writing about it and kind of thinking about it and i thought and this thing's like got some social capital to it for sure you know and <laughs> So I've kind of gone, all right, well, there's this network of all these wonderful people that I've had contact with most recently since you visited my house, bro. And mm. I was like, okay, I've got this podcast now. It's like got 10,000 downloads and, you, you, you know, we've got, we've got all these characters, you know. We've got Hubbard's over in, w, over in um, Hawaii. We've got Whitey over in WA. We've got, like, you know, all the Brazilians up there at Avalanche surfing. We've got characters over in canary islands and france with pierre and that like this there's a global network right there in our history 
And I thought, well, why don't I maybe try to leverage this board in, in Jack's op shop, uh, op shop idea. And so there it is. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> it's pretty special to me. You know, like I kind of, I slept on that board the night before when I got lost at sea on the deck of the boat. Uh, you know, mm. it got, it was attached to my arm when I caught an eight foot Cyclops one and got totally shredded on the bottom of the reef still attached to my arm and I came up and there was fucking tiger marks through the board, but I didn't get touched. And like, there's all these little mm. stories to this board. And, and then I obviously got that, that big scooper that I came out of 15 Ks out to sea. And then I got that one that, you know, I got 63 stitches on and went to hospital and got the cover shot. And, you know, that kind of was well publicized. And I just thought, all right, well, you know, if we as bodyboarders are a global network and some of us might've landed or come from privilege or landed in good jobs, um, maybe there's an appetite to throw it out there and we could build 20 grand to, to get rid of this board. And the cool thing about aim is like 20 grand turns into 180 grand because every dollar invested in aims, $9 of benefit to society. And that's fucking proven by KPMG. So it's, it's, it's a reasonable investment. Um, I suppose, and I'm just trying to juggle with how how to go about the actual board sale. Um, because you know I was I was kind of hitting up like Action Bronson, like why don't you just throw down the 20k, mate? And but he, you know, like <laughs> it's 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 going to be tricky to get 20k out of someone. But maybe I was I was juggling around on these websites today with maybe maybe we solidify like a safe raffle um situation where you buy one ticket for 50 bucks and you buy 10 tickets you obviously you know 500 bucks but you get more chance of taking the board home yeah i think it's a really cool idea and i just want i guess i wanted to touch on a couple of things before we move on and i think it's a really good gesture and i mean do you feel like was there a part of you when you kind of dug the board out of the roof where you're just like did you feel like you didn't need it in your life anymore either like was it was there something there and you just kind of feeling like oh i can let go of this now is there is there anything going on there? Because to hold the mm. board that long, to carry it around, not to, mm. you know, not to disregard it, and to you know, obviously it's special. It's been through so many moments with you, like life saving, saving your life probably in most cases. Um, mm. It's a pretty big thing. Like an items matter. You know what I mean? Like there's certain things I yeah. own, like my red beanie, which I've kind of become a little bit famous for. Sometimes, like everyone's like, yeah. "Where's the beanie?" Every yeah. time I wear, it, I post a photo on Instagram and hub. Hub comments if I'm wearing it or not. He gets weird. He's like, "Oh, dude, where's the beanie?" <laughs> so like, I love that beanie, and it's got a lot of meaning to me. And like, if I it, like, and there's moments where I thought I'd lost it, and I was devastated because I thought I'd lost it. I was like, "Oh my god, it's gone. This is terrible." Like, so I get that like certain items in our lives can carry so much meaning that we just mm. never really want to let them go. And I can totally understand this board being like that for you. Mm. How can you let it go? Mm. Well, like, like how on your personal level can you let that board go now? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like the space I'm in at the moment. I'm always like thinking about people dying in in countries with like low low healthcare um, provisions, and I'm always thinking about that stuff. You know, like I, 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 yeah. and, I and it's not like I'm I'm trying to be noble and shit like that. It's it's just I think a reality that um. I'm I'm well aware that I've got a lot of good things in my life and I was given a lot of good parenting when I grew up and I'm 
I'm also, I feel a deep sense of calling in my life to, to change the world in some way. And, um, mm. it's, this is a small gesture just to say, fuck that. Like my life means nothing compared to potentially getting a hundred kids through school and having a shot at, you know, not landing pregnant at 14, you know, like, I just think that's, that's way more yeah. important than me holding on to this salty fucking, um, token of, you know, of heroics, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it just does a no brainer for me. <laughs> You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I get it. I guess it's yeah. more like, and of course, everyone can understand that. I guess it's more like, do, are there other things in your life that, like, you know, obviously you value things. Like you're a guy that obviously can can mm. can form an attachment to a thing, and it's just a really, and of course, totally understandable. Like, who gives a shit? It's just a board, but it has meaning and mm. it can be put to good use. And if you can put it to good use and get your 9x on your return in social outcomes through yep. aim well then it's a no-brainer like of course nine dollars for every dollar mm. invested you know that's a big result and um and i want to touch on that a little bit as well afterwards but i guess it's just yeah it's just interesting to hear your perspective on it and to, yeah, to yeah. see how you can let it go because it's you've carried it like you know you've, you've mm. packed it and repacked it and probably <laughs> looked at it and you know like there's so many interactions with it over a long yeah, period yeah. of time i and you know i um yeah, I understand it, but I guess, yeah, and I've got it with. I've, I've probably got one item of clothing which I just, I just can't let go of. I just, it's beanie. I just have to have it, and it was, it was because it was someone, someone special who passed away had it before me, okay. and and I, I love that. You know, I love that I can think of that person when I put it on my head, mm. and you know, it has that special meaning to me. Um, it isn't just because I want to look like Steve Zissou or or um, look like bloody Jacques Cousteau, like even though I. Yeah, I do kind of dive and like kind of shit. So I know there's some connection there, but <laughs> like, um, you know, there is a deeper meaning. Maybe people should know that. Um, but yeah, but on this on this question of the the outcomes that AIM achieves, I think it's really interesting to touch on that a bit because you know a lot of people and I, I you know, I'm I'm a person that doesn't really take anything at face value. Like I ask questions and annoyingly so I want to get yeah. to the bottom of something and. You know, Let's like with, with the money that's being raised, like what is it that what what is exactly the outcome of this of this kind of work that AIM does? Um, can you drill into that a little bit? And yeah, hundred kind percent. Of, I know so, you said it's a mentoring system, but like you know, how does it actually work on the ground? What's the nuts <laughs> and bolts? Yeah, that's a really good question. So in its in its simplest, most tangible, uh, most pragmatic form, AIM is a mentoring program that I suppose has become very clever at recruiting volunteer university students across six different countries to give up mm -hmm. one hour a week to be trained, mobilized mentors in neighboring high schools for minority high school students. So there's a small curriculum, one hour blocks of curriculum that includes three phases, which is failure time, which is a small activity of doing things kids may not do in their regular lives um, and, and fail Failure at. Failure time. Yeah, and fail at okay. to develop a neurological resilience to, to trying things and trying new things, which is particularly lacking sometimes in a disadvantaged young person's mind. For example, if they've put their right. hand up in class and they've been shot down, it's super, yeah. it's almost certain that they're not going to put their hand up again. And that's really fucked mm. up. And, so mm. we do a small activity and we've got 500 of them listed 
that mentors can literally pick off the shelf and do failure time for 15 minutes in that one hour block. And then we wow. do, um, we actually do academic work. So kids uh, are asked to bring the math and science that they're sort of struggling with. And, and the mentor walks through, not so much as a tutor or a teacher, but just we teach our mentors to ask good questions of, of the students. And then it just kind of flexes that muscle of, Number one, it's important to get to do your schoolwork, even if it's just for half an hour with your mentor each week, develops that mm-hmm. uh, that behavior. And then, and obviously just to grow um, capacity in those subjects and, you know, get that tick of approval from from teachers and, and that grows the relationship with their teachers. And then the last 15 minutes, mm-hmm. we do this thing called Game of Life. And it's literally like Dungeons and Dragons, but they have a stimuli uh, on the screen for two minutes and they then contribute in a circle different elements to the story and the story and the underpinning of the story is that they they are trying to build a fairer world um, and so they get to recreate what happens after that stimuli on the screen and it's kind of like if you if I ask my four-year-old to what a fireman does you know he might give me a you know some answer but if I ask him to be a fireman like he he then puts the red cap on, goes and turns the hose on, and starts going nuts. You know, like role play is mm. a better way to learn, and there's pedagogical, like educational philosophy behind that. Where you know, if we're there's this thing called Bloom's taxonomy, which I'm sure you're familiar with. If we get told something, we sort of remember maybe two percent of it. If we ask to regurgitate mm. it or say it, we remember fifteen percent of it. But if we're asked to act it mm. out and apply it in a foreign setting. Um, we mm. end up remem- remembering like more than fifty percent of it. So that's kind of part mm. of the educational, um, the principles behind the mentoring. And this one-hour engagement between a volunteer mentor and a mentee has happened at AIM across three hundred and eighty schools across six different countries. And there's been over ten thousand volunteer mentors um, volunteering an hour a week. So we've se- essentially Amen. scaled like scaled a fairly simple simple linear model where it just says, hey, top 5% of society um, as, as an 18 to 25-year-old land in tertiary education, um, top 5% in terms of wealth. How about we leverage that demographic to sit with, you know, some of our most marginalized young people in a mentoring setting? Mm-hmm. And it, it's, you know, part of it's luck, like Jack stumbled upon this model when he started working with 25 kids, Aboriginal kids at Alex Park High School in 2005, and he was a passionate, he's a fucking nutcase, like he's Steve Jobs slash Nelson Mandela slash Willy Wonka's from the Chocolate Factory. Like he's I had just a call a, with him already. He's yeah, an interesting yeah. chap. Like he's, he, you know, he, he's, uh, has, has really, I felt really bad though because he's like, oh man, I just feel like a bolt of lightning right now. You know, there's like so much going on. I'm just feeling the vibes. I'm like, look, I'm really sorry, but I've got a call in five minutes. Like I, I totally like felt so bad because he's like, hey man, you got off the phone to Brenda. I'm so stoked. Like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do that. I'm like, yeah, bro, I don't want to cut you short here, but I got five minutes. He literally and I don't just sent me a text message then and it says vibes. Yeah. That's all it says. <laughs> um, yeah, he's a gnarly dude, but he, you know, to his I credit. I love it. I love the energy. I love yeah, it. He's like uh, pretty much put his put his whole life into this and for the last eight years. Great. And, that's great. That's yeah. great. And it's evident. The success is evident. And like the outcomes are tremendous. And I just, I didn't fully understand this, um, 
this program, it's so it seems so simple, right? Like to to just get that kind of failure time because we all, I guess, we all understand that like if you're not prepared for failure, you don't try anything new. Um, you know, like I was I was asked the other day on a on a podcast in relation to my work with Surface for Climate, like you know, why do you think it's good to get out of your comfort zone and talk about climate change? And I was just like, well, as a surfer, getting out of your comfort zone is where all the good stuff happens. Yeah, you yeah. don't get the bomb if you're on the shoulder. Yeah, and I like think you that's know why this I'm so more than anyone, Brendo. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm so attracted to the bodyboarding scene because it's yeah. people full of that mentality. Like it's so attractive. I fucking love. Yeah, we have a go. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've got to have a go, and you got to put yourself <laughs> out there. You know, yeah. you don't win anything if you don't put yourself in a little bit of danger or in yeah. a little bit of an uncomfortable position. You know, like paddle out front on and sit at the right spot and see what happens yeah. to your brain when <laughs> when that set comes and you've got a comp yeah. jersey on, mate. Like. You you do things you'd never thought you'd do, and yeah. you know, like it's, it, and it's true, and it's just so interesting that that same, you know, and you got to be willing to fail. You got to be willing to like experience that failure and know that you can come back from it. And yep. and yeah, like so, it's super interesting to to see that that can be, um, packaged and delivered into a fifteen minute experience for a young person that's experiencing yep. disadvantage. Like totally. that's a tremendous thing to um. You know, the STEM skills, science and maths, of course, we've all got to learn that bullshit. I can't mm. remember trigonometry if you tested me on it right now. I'm fucking yeah. hopeless at maths. But, but the, the funny thing know, is, like it's, yeah. I know I know you're aware of this, but the weird thing is, I reckon, I think there's studies out, Um, I can actually fucking quote the study. This is where the world I live in. Like, I think mm. a play, uh, a study came out recently, Frey and, Osborne, Frey and Osborne were the publishers, that it was 43% mm. of jobs are are essentially essentially not going to be existent in the next 10 years um, because mm. of changes to economy, industry, and technology. Automation and whatnot, yeah. 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 So it's like how do we, if we don't know how to try something, fail and reinvent ourselves, like we're, mm. like em- employment's not going to be possible for, mm. for individuals. Yeah, so that's yeah. where I kind of, in a cheeky sense, I hope all these kids that we work with go on and just fucking rip down the walls of that perpetuate disadvantage using skills that we taught them to, to reinvent themselves, use their imagination mm. and, you know, and anyone who's followed like a rote learning system can take a back seat for a while and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough, though, I feel like there's another side of this that like I don't know if there's much analysis and I'm assuming there might be, but I don't want to put you on the spot too much. But for the mentor, like, you know, this is someone – as you're saying, coming from the top one or like, you know, if you're at uni, as you said, you're from the top 5% of, of, of wealth yep. and you're at uni, like what's, is there, is there any analysis on the effects of this program on them, the actual act of giving back and becoming a mentor and what do they go on to do next? Because, you know, these are probably relatively wealthy people who could have just gone and become pretty brutally capitalistic yep. um, investment bankers totally. who don't give a totally. fuck about anyone. Like, yep. so how does that play out? Yeah. Well, a good, anecdotal case study for that is that i think the last time yeah. jack went down to the feds um in canberra to negotiate yeah. the next year of the feds give us um sort of between 20 and 30 percent of our funding and just to let oh yeah cool. you know and so he went down there i think he saw five people in parliament house that had an aim hoodie um, and and oh. these are ex mentors. <laughs> you know, the hoodie is something yeah. that we give our mentors as they kind of march through to the program. And but yeah, yeah, like I think that's probably a good story in to paint yeah. that picture of like 
you know, yeah, we get kids through school, but I, I actually reckon the mentors get more benefit than the mentees in that kind of uh, mentality shift. And yeah, they do. Well, go it's on interesting, to- right? Because, yeah. you know, we all get to make choices in our university lives. And I, I remember, like, I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do when I went to uni. So I did an arts degree, which allowed me to do everything. Mm-hmm. And I did. I fucking tried everything. And, you know, like it, it takes you on this real big journey. You're like, you're like Alice in Wonderland, you know, you just go through the looking glass and everything gets turned upside down. And, you know, you can either embrace the, uh, the opportunities to leave, op- to leave university thinking you can change the world for the better. Like, and I do feel like that's how I left university in the end. I, I learned yep. about global poverty and development. I learned about, you know, the... Um, the the aspects of the current system that we live in and were born into and the and the shortcomings of it and you know I don't know the recipe for changing it all overnight but I do know that there's a few things I can focus on that might you know that may well move the needle and I feel nice. like I'm enacting that now yeah. through bodyboarding or through my work with Surface for Climate so I I'm a recipient of like a good outcome I reckon for this whole can I can I dare believe I could change the world yeah um but some people don't you know some people go through uni and they just like They've got a very clear agenda, which is themselves, and they feed their own future wealth opportunity, and then they leave, and they don't contribute, mm. or they do that thing, which is kind of interesting. I just, and I think it's changing, hopefully. But you know, they go and they work real hard, and then they decide to give back later once they've screwed everyone over. And I find that bizarre. Like I, I just struggle <laughs> with that. So, like I, I love it. Yeah. There might be people coming through this who actually know that they can make a living, yeah. do a good thing at the same time help others, you know, extend a hand to those yeah. who need a hand. That's it's one of my favorite out. things. It's actually, a hand. Yeah, you know? 100%. That's one of my favorite things, Um, doing it aim, like on the ground. We literally just mm. bump through lecture theaters and just kind of slam people with this big narrative and cool audiovisual of like how they can actually um jump into these tutor squads for one hour a week. And, and then yeah, most people yeah. are like, like what the fuck are these guys talking about? But by the time we're finished, they've put their name down and their email down, and they'll be heading to a tutor squad next month. You know, and, and that I yeah. reckon that's super fun because you've got people that wouldn't have been thinking about it, and and no. as I said, you yeah, you got a chance to sort and of change that exactly. narrative. Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, I do think the majority of people, the vast majority of people in the university system, are people who do want to change the world, but they don't fully yeah. realize it yet, and they don't fully see how they themselves can fit within that and. Yeah, it's really encouraging that most of the time you just need someone to show up and give you that little bit of a roadmap about how, you know, because it's so easy to sit back and be an armchair critic of everything and to, you know, we can read lots of books in our nice little libraries and and talk about what could happen or (laughs) should happen, but, you know, getting out there and getting a few battle scars and failing and, and, you know, messing shit up and still pushing through it is really the only way to do anything great. So. It's um I sure as shit know that's how my pathway's been. And yep. I mean, I'm sure, you know, we've we we've all got these journeys that are do have failure in them and we it's really about how you bounce back from it. So no, I think it's really cool that, that that offer is extended in the university system because it can become a bit kind of self interested. Like if you just go through it the whole time, you can just feed your own trajectory and get completely disconnected from the real world and the real struggles mm. of people. So Nah, fair play. That's that's really cool. Um, and so that's what this initiative is feeding into. Um, and and just to be clear about that, like when you say that nine dollars of value created, that's 
that's because there's a measurement done and and there's a study you said or some analysis done by KPMG on this that kind yeah. of shows these social outcomes. Yeah, yeah, it's like an 18 page re- report where they go through all our data, transition data of, of our mentees, uh, yep. and a few other elements, uh, looking at our our funding as a not for profit, and then looking yep. at the residual outcomes of certain the, this group of students transitioning through school and going on to positive pathways, whether it be yep. employment or further study. Uh, so yep. that's, I mean, you know. In some sense, it is a fairly linear analysis of like how our society will benefit from this happening. But, you know, it, it is security in that, you know, if people were to throw down some money on this particular bodyboard, for example, that it will be yeah. times nine, you know, as it as it lands on the ground and we mobilize mentors to support kids. So, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that it's in six countries. Which countries is it in? Uh, it's in Louisiana. In Oh yeah, U- USA. USA. Uh, it's all over Australia and every state of Australia. It's in mm. Zimbabwe, run by a lady oh, yeah. named Saru. It's Shayaka, my buddy over in Uganda, is running it. Um, Nigeria's wow. got a guy named Bem running it, and a bunch of volunteers. There's a guy named Vitali that we recruited down in South Africa, and. Sick. I think that's six countries. I think you got to six. I think you got to six. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that's really awesome. I mean, and so, and with that, is it, and it is it always focused on, because obviously the name implies that originally it was about Aboriginal people in Australia in the beginning, but obviously the the kind of scope or the mission was ex- more expansive at some point because mm. you are in these other countries, but are you dealing with just basically people who are experiencing disadvantage or or minorities who don't get a, who don't really get much attention? Is that the focus you could say now more broadly? Yeah, so uh, the United Nations have got a pretty clear parameters on, I think, roughly 10 demographics globally that are experiencing significant uh, in- inequity with regards to yeah. education and, and, and uh, health outcomes. And so mm. to name a few of the populations that have been allocated the AIM mentoring program globally are those who come from African-American backgrounds or yep. American Indian backgrounds, uh, Aboriginal yep. or Torres Strait Islander in Australia. And then there's particular yep. demographics and schools that just have far less resources through the African countries. So yep. they allocate a school and a particular group of students when they go to work um, with the mentoring program. Amazing. Amazing. And like this is one step along the way. So it's an op shop. Your board's going to be in it, and there's going to be a lot of other cool shit in there too. So it should be kind of stated that, like, not only can people probably bid on your board, but there might actually be other cool stuff. Like, do you have much of an outline of what other stuffs in this op shop that people yeah. might be interested in if they want to dive in? Yeah, like there's there's a kind of a culmination of items, and we're trying to keep it soulful rather than just sort of cheap and shitty. So yeah, there's a guy named Tyson Yucca Porter. That you're probably mm. aware of. He's he's pretty famous for his indigenous knowledges. Uh, he's published a book called Sand Talk, and it's basically how okay. indigenous knowledges can help save the world, which is a big concept. But he's he's an absolute nutcase. Uh, he's one of the globe's leading indigenous thinkers. But he's donated some some super special icons, um, 
actual pieces from his sand talk um, practices that uh, mm-hmm. basically explore some of these indigenous knowledge. And once he, when he re- actually wrote the book, he went to communities and did his own ceremonial practices. And some of the items that he did, wow. these ceremonial practices, uh, are on the op shop. Uh, so, wow. yes, it's fucking gnarly. Like, I encourage anyone to look up uh, Tyson Yucca Porter. He's, he's a pretty gnarly, he's a super cool dude, like, just rough as guts, and but just super intelligent and, and grounded mm. in his um, kind of, I suppose, his culture, the way he's, he's learned through, like we discussed, failure mm-hmm. um and then yeah. yeah so there's there's also dan single who works with aim so dan's one of those characters from northern beaches of sydney that you grew up surfing with ben and toby player and super yeah eclectic. og bodyboarder yeah yeah raw two yeah i think he did a big invert at, uh off the i wall. believe he did i believe he did <laughs> yeah so, i do remember that now that you mentioned that yeah dan singles hanging out with us and he's had a wild life you know he fell out of he a has. building like five stories and and broke 200 bones in his body and and then has sort of you know re reconstructed how he he bridges the gap between those with and those without um using his kind of fashion industry connections and his creative kind of entrepreneurial stuff he founded that brand subi jeans in the uh, 90s and early 2000s and i think he's he's looking at uh getting some of those original subi jeans um in the op shop Mate, I remember yeah. when I worked at General Pants in my university yeah, yeah. period. It was yeah. just the Subi jeans were much sought after item on the shelf. I've got to say, and they were, know, yeah, they they were very like well priced. Three hundred bucks um, or something for, for the one percenters out there. It was a real one percenter uh, item of clothing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but that's great. I, I look, yeah. I mean, how cool is it that someone like that? I mean, it's just funny. Here's another bodyboarder yeah. um, who's kind of his original play was just doing spinners and rollers and big inverts off the wall, and then he. You know, he's got his own story to to tell and now he's, yep. you know, doing this work after his own traumas and triumphs. So, yeah, super cool to hear that he's involved. Mm. Yeah, I just don't know how Body we're going to do eh? this do this burger, um, Joshua. I reckon we'll see how it plays out. But, I'm, yeah, I'm dancing with the idea of selling raffle tickets for 50 bucks. Um, yeah. Maybe that's a way. I, I think the auction idea is gets a bit clunky digitally. Um, yeah. yeah. So stand, stand by for that one. Oh, well, you know, like if people are willing to spend, uh, what, $15,000 on a Ben Severson board that he, you know, he made a few of them afterwards, um, it's probably interesting to them to, to to get in touch with a board that saved lives and also defined a generation of bodyboarders and how we actually paddle into waves, which, you know, <laughs> that's what you did. <laughs> you, you, you made everyone feel like they weren't deep enough forever. <laughs> So, <laughs> thanks, Joker. <laughs> well, for everyone's information, no, I cool. have a really good time in three foot sucky waves doing it. I know, in the pocket I know. These you, days. Do. <laughs> you do. You do. You've got. You you know how to scoop in, and you've got. You've definitely got that still, mate. And it's um, and it's always been there. But you know, you really fucking pushed us to the edge there for a bit. <laughs> I I definitely wasn't interested in keeping up, but you could do. You, you took it where you needed to take it. Um, but. It's um really cool to check in on this. I think we've just hit the limits. You've got some duties probably to get on with this afternoon. So don't hang up after the call, but I will get you to have the last word. Like why in a what's your very short kind of statement to the people listening? Like, you know, once it's all clarified how to get involved, like 
what's the pitch, the final words to say, come on, guys, chip in? Uh, I reckon I'm going to say it now. It's going to be 50 buck raffle tickets. And if you want to invest in something beyond yourself, which in a funny, altruistic sense comes back 10 times to yourself anyway from experience, um, mm-hmm. yeah, grab a raffle ticket. And I'm just going to go bananas over the next week on social media and, and through a few different uh, communications and writing a thing for Swellnet at the moment, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I'm just going to try Happy. to sell. What's, how many $50 raffle tickets have I got to do? 400? I told you I'm fucked at maths. Don't, don't ask me to do that 400. on the podcast. I've got to find 400 people oh, okay, with, cool. with 50 bucks. Or if you want to buy 10 raffle tickets, that's also really good. <laughs> yeah, sweet. All right, well, we'll have to get a link. I'm going to try and get this published, um, obviously, really quickly, so it's useful. Um, and you need Thanks. to get me a link so I can tell people about it. But um, thanks for jumping on the podcast, Brendo. I'm going to hit pause now and I'll have a quick yarn to you afterwards. But thank you very much, bro. Thanks, brother.